Hello and welcome to the Emmanuel Church London catch-up service. Thank you so much for joining us. We have a passion to present Jesus to London and would love for you to be part of the adventure. So why not say hello to us by visiting our website manualchurchlondon.org so we can get back to you and say a bit more of a personal hello. Stuart lived for many years and um, it's just been yeah, an absolute privilege not only to be friends with them but to be able to minister with them uh, as well. And um, I guess like today we're in a series called Walking in the Light. So if you're just visiting us today, this might feel like a little bit of a, a different type of meeting. Um, so Stu and Liv obviously started the church about 15 years ago. There's a number of people here that are going with them. Some people that are from this church, some people that are coming from other churches as well. Um, and they're going to go and start another church. Um, and I just want to help give some context to that today uh, for all of us really. Um, in terms of just what it really means and some of the things that will mark out this next season or indeed should mark out this next season for us um, as a local church, for those that are going and maybe for some of you, even like the McNamara's, those of you who have gone as well. And I'm hoping that this will genuinely encourage all of us in some way, shape or form around the subject of, of kingdom advance. Um, and so we've been looking at a, a number of different things um, over the last few weeks um, today I want to look at advance over apathy, um, and there's going to be about six points that, well not about, it's actually going to be six points uh, that I'm going to make, so I know six, right? Um, and I'm just going to try and talk through a story um, and just draw out some stuff that I think will, will help us just in terms of teaching from the Bible, but also help bring some context to what's actually going on here as well. Um, and we're going to start in Acts chapter 20. And then we're going to look at a chunk of Acts chapter 21. And uh, I'll give a little bit of context after I've read the first few verses here. So it says this. When Paul had finished speaking, he knelt down with all of them and he prayed. And they all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. And what grieved them most was his statement that they would never see his face again. And then they accompanied him to the ship. Liv said she didn't want to cry today, so I just thought we'd concentrate on this particular verse for the whole time. No, we're not going to do that at all, in fact, um, but weeping is going to come up today, so we'll get to that. We're not even there yet. just want to give some context to this passage. Paul, this is the, the guy that used to be called Saul, who used to kill Christians. If you're new to church today, he's like a big deal in the New Testament. So after Jesus has gone to be with the Father, he lived, died, rose again. Paul starts persecuting Christians and then radically meets the risen Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus basically calls him both to himself. So he, he becomes a believer, obviously, of Jesus. But also he gives him a calling on his life to go and proclaim the good news of who Jesus is to the Gentiles, to those who are not Jewish and to the ends of the earth. And what's happened in this particular passage is that Paul um, has just finished speaking to the elders in a place called Ephesus, and he's informed them that he feels compelled to go to Jerusalem. So he's been traveling around the known world, telling people about Jesus. Literally everywhere that Paul goes, you've just got to understand this in terms of context. It's not like when we sort of build up the courage to tell somebody that we go to church in a pub, uh, or we're down a bar after work, and we've told someone that Jesus is real. Paul goes into these towns and cities, uh, and in most cases, gets stoned or beaten or even thrown over the wall of the city. 
Um, he, he doesn't have a good time when he's proclaiming the good news of Jesus, um, but he feels compelled to keep going. And we're going to be looking at that a little bit more. And in this particular moment, he feels compelled by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. And he, he says uh, to the elders in this passage before, he's saying to them, I don't even know what awaits me there. All I know is that everywhere that the Lord tells me to go, there's suffering and pain. Great job description. Okay, uh, And he seems to not be put off by this. In fact, there's a consistency in the life of Paul, and please hear this, I'm going to say it twice, we're going to come back to this very point. As a Christian, Paul is not determined to survive, but he is determined to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ to as many people as will listen. He is not about surviving. That is not what Paul is doing. He is about the good news of Jesus. And he is saying this to the elders and then he instructs them. He says, be watchful for your own life and be watchful for the flock, for the sheep, for the people that God has put you in charge of. So let's get into Acts 21. Let's keep going. After we had torn ourselves away from them, (laughs) it's pretty deep, (laughs) uh, we put out to sea and we sailed straight to Kos. The next day we went to Rhodes and from there we went to Patara. We found a ship crossing over to Phoenicia, uh, and when on board, we set sail. After sightseeing, I mean sighting Cyprus, it's a little joke for myself there, and passing to the south of it, we sailed to Syria. We landed in Tyra, where our ship was to unload its cargo. So one thing is absolutely clear, is that if you go for an emotional goodbye, it's important to go on a Mediterranean tour afterwards. (laughs) You got that, right? So we sought out the disciples there, and we stayed with them for seven days. Through the Spirit, they urged Paul not to go to Jerusalem. And when it was time to leave, we left and we continued on our way. And all of them, including wives and children, accompanied us out of the city. And there on the beach, we knelt and we prayed. And after saying goodbye to each other, we went aboard the ship and they returned home. So another emotional departure as as Paul's making his way to Jerusalem. And this time, it seems that the saints, through the Spirit, are actually discouraging Paul to keep going, which we're going to come back to in a little bit. But also, I don't want us to miss the themes here, this this genuine, cross-generational relationships that are smothered in prayer. It's, It's a beautiful, beautiful thing that's just happened. We continued on our voyage from Tyre, and we landed in Ptolemaeus, something like that, where we greeted the brothers and sisters and stayed with them for a day. Leaving the next day, we reached Caesarea and we stayed at the house of Philip the Evangelist, one of the seven. Now pause there for a moment. Philip, one of the seven, the seven were appointed by the disciples to help them with the work, the gospel continuation and to help serve the people. And that would have included, part of that seven, Philip would have included Stephen Stephen, in the book of Acts, was stoned at the oversight of who? Saul, who now is Paul, and Paul's gone for dinner with Philip. Just so that you can get a grasp of the gospel richness of grace and forgiveness and changed lives, it's not simply that Paul's life was radically changed and transformed, but even the friends of those who had been murdered because of their faith are now reconciled together and talking about the ongoing mission of Christ Jesus. That's a big deal, church. So that one's for free. He had four, it's all for free in fact. I hope you haven't paid to come here today. Um, That would be weird, and if you have, get a refund. 
He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. And after we'd been there a number of days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. Coming over to us, he took off Paul's belt and he tied his own hands and feet with it and said, The Holy Spirit says, In this way, the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and will hand it over to the Gentiles. Now, this belt wasn't like a, you know, like a, a little leather belt. It would have been like a, a long piece of material. This would have been quite a dramatic, prophetic expression uh, where Agapus is saying, and he's bound himself up and tied himself up, and basically like, whoever, whoever this belt belongs to, and it's like as if you don't know who it belongs to, you've just literally taken it off of the man over there. Bit of a strange party trick. Uh, and he ties it around himself and says, whoever this belongs to is, is going to be bound uh, and handed over to the Gentiles. And when we heard this, Remember, this is Luke speaking, his account, so even he now is joining in with the saints. When we heard this, the people pleaded with Paul not to go to Jerusalem. And then Paul answered, why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And when, we would not, when he would not be dissuaded, we gave up and said, the Lord's will be done. So I think there's a load of stuff here that I think we can pull out that's just going to help uh, those of you that are going um, to London Bridge, um, but also those of you that are staying, and as I said, those of you that have even gone and are visiting today, maybe in other contexts here in London or even overseas as well. So we're going to rattle through these points, um, not to rush them, but just because there's a lot to get through because I definitely want us to pray at the end of this meeting. This is an important moment for us. So the first thing that I, I want to say that I, I think we can just draw out of this passage is that there is an obvious call upon Paul's life. Uh, and this is something that I've already stated in terms of way of introduction. I just want to come back to it again. And what I've said here is that it's calling over comfort. Paul as a Christian is not trying to find the most comfortable life. The Holy Spirit, as I've already said, has compelled him to Jerusalem. But even bigger than that, you know, when Paul was first introduced to the real Jesus, when the resurrected Jesus came before him and called him to himself, he actually spoke to somebody else in Damascus and, and told this person, this Paul I've called to be a my mouthpiece to the Gentiles. When you read through the book of Acts and when you read the letters of Paul, you just never get away from that. You never get a sense that he's after personal gain. You never get a sense that he's just sort of saying, even when he's praying in prison, it's not like, can you pray that someone will get me out of here? He's saying, pray that the gospel advances even here. Oh, and by the way, it is. I've told the guards. <laughs> that's, that's how he rolls. He's like, above all else, his highest agenda, like I said earlier, is not to survive, but it's for the good news of Jesus to advance to the ends of the earth. What, what Paul's life became about was faithful obedience. Faithful obedience. And I want to just start by saying this, that hearing God is not obedience. Obeying God is obedience. Faithful obedience is not just about getting a hunch that I'm meant to do something with my life. Faithful obedience is hearing God and saying, God, whatever the cost, I'm going to do it. That ultimately is what the, the Christian life is about. Uh, and I want to take this opportunity just to honor you, those of you that are going, 
for being faithfully obedient. I want to honor you guys. And, and I know we don't know what's to come yet, and we're going to get to that, as in I've got no answers. That's where we're going to land. But well done for being obedient. Well done for, for standing. There's moments in, in each of your lives, and I, I don't know them all intrinsically, but there's moments in each of your lives where the call of God has come to you and you've said yes. We've heard a number of times about your washing up incident. And, um, and keep telling it. You know, that story doesn't get boring. And we shouldn't let it get boring, church. And if you've not heard it before, Stu once did the washing up. <laughs> nah, I'm joking. He works hard with his family. When he was washing up in Bristol, the Lord came and spoke to him and said, go and start a church in Greenwich. Through prayer and conversation, it wasn't a simple situation. Together, they were faithful and obedient. But for those of you that are going, I know there would have been moments, I just want to say this, thank you for just continuing to stand. I know being part of church isn't always easy. I know relationally it's not always easy. I know there's hardship and pain as you look back. Well done for being obedient. Well done for saying, yeah, we're going to go again. It's good. Church, Paul was utterly, utterly committed to the advance of the good news of Jesus Christ. There is a world that needs to hear the truth of Jesus. If, if, if this book, this holy book that we build our lives upon is true, what else can we do but tell the world about it? What else can we do but introduce every person we know to the reality of who Jesus is? Without question. That's not a pressure thing. It's just like, if it's really real, what else can we do? because of what awaits us. Planting churches is a fantastic way of sticking a flag in the ground and saying this is going to be a gospel outpost of heaven, not to hopefully one day get to a place where they've got a meeting with a, a projector and someone's going to plug their guitar into a, to a real sound system and someone's going to get up. That, that's not the aim here for the church. A church is being formed because disciples are going to get made. People are going to get introduced to Jesus. It's going to change their eternal destiny. That's what's going on here. This is an important moment for us as a church. And so we, together, all of us, need to recognize that the Christian life is about calling over comfort. Let's keep going. One of the, the, the obvious things that we see in this passage is that there is genuine friendship and love amongst the saints. And what I put for this bit, and I've just tried to make them all work with the walking in darkness, so I thought you'd appreciate that, yeah? Good. Friendship over fads. Yeah? So, as I've just said, we're not after, like, the next expression of church. We're not after the next, like, textbook to be, like, executed and, like, this is what you could do with a small group and this is what you could do on Sundays and this is how you gather a crowd. There might be some value in those things. I'm sure there is value in those things. What the church is about and the reason that people are already crying today is legitimate, deep friendship that is built on Christ Jesus and is an authentic love. It's not like if we're just passing like ships in the night, we've missed it. See, the gospel is, is both um, upward in terms of our relationship with God, but it is also horizontal with one another, right? And, and I want to just, these moments that we see, like every place that Paul goes to, it's like there's this weeping and there's this longing for him, and, and we'll get to some of the blockers in a moment, but they clearly love this guy. 
They clearly love this guy and he clearly loves them. And, um, and again, I just want to encourage you guys. We love you all, genuinely. This isn't the end. And um, you know, hopefully it's a bit different in terms of the story. <laughs> Very different. Um, but there is hardship ahead. We'll, we'll, we'll get to that. But I want you guys just to hear loud and clear. And it might sound like the most obvious thing in the world, church. Please don't miss this. That genuine friendship, it really matters. It really matters. That text message that you think about sending just to encourage in a few months' time, when these guys have all headed off and, and started something new, you just don't know when that text is going to land. You don't know when that phone call is going to hit. You don't know when you say, do you want to go get a coffee, how much that's going to mean. Friendship is really important. We're not trying to just go through the motions and get numbers on a sheet. Success for these guys isn't to report back sometime and just give us a number. Success will be them coming back to visit and bringing others that have met Jesus and us going to visit them and sitting down and eating and breaking bread with them and going for a drink afterwards and catching up with others that have joined the church and seeing how they're really doing. That doesn't come down just to, to one person. That's us collectively owning this as, as family. There's a genuine friendship here. And that's why, and the next point here, is why there's weeping. There will be weeping with moments where you go. Where the, where the kingdom advances, there, there will often be weeping. And I said it's weeping over whinging. Do you know that like, in church, people can whinge an awful lot? Why are you laughing? I'm, I'm not talking about you guys. Obviously, not talking about you guys. And I'm certainly not talking about myself. But I actually am talking about all of us. I just want to say this. Um, transitions between church leaders don't always work. Anyone clock that one? Transitions in business don't always work, right? It can be really, really difficult. And I just want to say again, well done to you guys. Uh, I want to say that we need to guard our hearts. What we're doing as we, we change and, and, and the church is changing, that we don't start to compare and judge. Those of you that are starting something new, the same goes for you, that it's not like, oh, you know. It, we learn and we grow and we develop but what we don't do is we don't let whinging come into our hearts. We don't start comparing and judging against one another. I want to say that weeping is good. Okay, Liv, feel free to weep. <laughs> and, uh, and those of you that are here today and you're feeling quite emotional, I got a bit emotional earlier. And these guys, like, literally, they live 10 minutes away and they still are going to live 10 minutes away, so go see them whenever. Um, but for all of the guys going, like, it, it's okay that it feels a bit emotional. Very emotional. And actually, we, we express it in different kinds of ways. It's an outward expression that there is depth of relationship, right? And those of you that don't cry, I don't know what's going on. <laughs> but he's crying on the inside, like I always say. And uh, I, I just want to say that it is really important. But, but for all of us, there, there's something to learn in this. I, I felt like when I was just looking through this passage... I think that this level of emotion, so when you actually prioritise um, family and love and friendship, there's, there's a subtle um, possibility that that can actually block the kingdom advance. And what happens here is that Paul has to choose to advance the kingdom again, multiple times over, because he's, he's literally sat with people that are weeping with him 
just, just don't go. And, and partly there's a prophetic element, which we'll come to in a moment, but partly it's just friendship. It's like, we don't want you to go. And, and what Paul has to do is he, he has to lift his head, and he has to see eternal perspective. And, and the Gibbs and the Wilsons and all of you that are going to London Bridge, I want to encourage you in this season ahead to have an eternal mindset. And, and I know you know that. I know you know that. You guys are long in the game of Christian ministry. But on a daily basis, choose to think of things above. Choose to think of what's to come. Choose to keep advancing and to keep pushing on. Because whilst there will be tears and discomfort, what you are setting out to do, as I said earlier, is going to have eternal significance for individuals. There's friendships that haven't even been formed yet that will be formed even with men and women that aren't currently in the kingdom of light. That is beautiful. That is worth some discomfort. That is worth some weeping because we're all going to be in eternity together forever. Some of you are happy about that. Some of you are like, really? I'm going to go the other way from this guy. We're going to get to spend eternity together, right? And I always tell you, if you want to find me, where am I going to be? In the river of life, doing the running man. Feel free to come find me. You know the running man? No. Because at that point, I'll have my resurrected body and I'll be able to smash that dance in a way that I've never smashed it before. We will get to go deeper in our relationships. Do not let, and I felt like some of you in this room even today need to hear this, that comfort of relationship, depth of emotional relationship is a good thing, but should not be a blocker for kingdom advance. Should not be a reason to disobey what the Lord's calling you into. And, and it sounds like, well, that sounds, it's really important that we get hold of that. Jesus did it. We see Paul doing it. We must do the same. You still with me, yeah? Okay, there, there's going to be prophecy. And there was prophecy in these moments. And what I've put for this one is prophecy over presumption. A little bit of a teaching moment, I guess, for us. Interestingly, amongst the weeping and the love, there is this prophetic narrative that comes from the saints that seems to be in complete contrast to what Paul is saying God has said to him. I want to be really clear. When you read bits like this in the Bible, don't just like reject it, walk away from it, shove it under the carpet. Let's dig into it a bit, right? So one thing that's really important just to know is that God never contradicts himself. He's not a confused God. He's not trying to weave this tapestry together and then having to unpick some bits and be like, I probably shouldn't have said that, should I? Got that bit wrong. That's not what's going on here at all. And so there's a few things that I just want to say. Number one is this. Paul didn't get it wrong. Paul absolutely was meant to go to Jerusalem. And he absolutely, in my opinion, heard from the Holy Spirit and was compelled to go by the Spirit to Jerusalem. So what do you do with these other statements that are coming from the saints? Is it like, well, they just got it wrong? prophetically, we have to understand that when we hear from God, we can get it wrong, right? So sometimes we're like, oh, I think God has said, and maybe some of you have experienced it where someone might say something, and you just think, I just, I'm just not sure, and that's okay. In fact, the Bible teaches us to weigh up the prophetic. I'm not actually sure that's what's going on here. Actually, when you look at it, so for example, if you think about what Agabus has said, this demonstration, this sort of like quite extravagant prophetic demonstration, He's absolutely on the money prophetically. 
He's hearing from God. He's saying, whoever's belt this is is going to get tied up in Jerusalem. Well, that happens. Paul does get tied up in Jerusalem. But there's a presumption to what the prophetic, like the the vision, there's a presumption to what it means. Because what essentially he's saying is that danger is ahead of you, and therefore the conclusion of the saints is, well, therefore don't go. And Paul's like, no, (laughs) that's not what's going on here. And even with this other thing, which is probably slightly harder to deal with, and I'm not going to spend ages on it, but when there's this like, um, when it says urged by the Spirit, they're urging through the Spirit for Paul not to go. I think probably what's happening is much more to do with the interpretation of the saints rather than what God is saying. Paul of his own confession has already said, the call of God on my life is full of pain and suffering. Everywhere that he's calling me to go, there's going to be hardship and pain. And I think that's essentially what's happening is that the saints are getting caught up on this journey that Paul's going on. And you can say, well, surely the prophetic, if if God's speaking to his people, it has to be to edify and to uplift. And I'm like, 100% it is. But let's not fall into the trap where we think that the edification of the church means a future that's got no pain and suffering in it. I think what's happening here is that actually God is catching the saints up with Paul in an understanding that what lies ahead is really serious. But God does want him to go and do it. So he's preparing himself, right? So, so you know, I, I just think there's a helpful understanding here. Everything that comes from God is good, but it doesn't mean that it's pain-free and comfortable. That's a bit of an odd one for us to hear sometimes as Christians, right? So God might ask things of you to do that actually are going to bring discomfort and pain. Ultimately, it's good, but it may well bring discomfort and pain. And and church, I just want to say this, take this opportunity in this particular moment, is that we need to keep growing in our understanding of how we hear God. I think one of the things that got mentioned even on the video that I know has been in the heart of Stu and Livy has been the prophetic. And we honour you for that. And Liv, just the gift that you've got and the way that you've raised people. And there's people here now, I mentioned the other night, Shireen is just carrying the flame, that it carries on. And there's others here that I know gather. But for all of us, we are a prophetic people. And we need to keep learning to hear God, but we need to know how to discern how we hear from God and not make presumption as well. I guess just to finish this, this point, I do just want to make an important point when we're about to launch a new church and cheer these guys on. Um, just the myth that church planting is glamorous or a walk in the park. It's why I wanted to get into these passages. So prophetically, I mean, this isn't even prophetic. These guys are going to have some challenges ahead. Because when the kingdom advances, we're not advancing into neutral territory. When we advance the kingdom, we're advancing into the kingdom of darkness. We're going to take back what has been taken. When this flag goes down in the ground, it's like another church. More disciples gathering together in the light of Christ Jesus to proclaim his name. They're going on the offensive. It's front line. And so it's really important that we do hear from God and we encourage these guys going... And that leads me nicely into the next point, which is just all over these passages, is that there was prayer. 
in every case there's prayer, and I've put prayer over planning. Yes. Um, no, it's not an excuse not to plan. So those of you that are planners and you're like sort of shaking a little bit in your seat, thinking oh, another church leader that's just like throwing plans out the window. That's not what's going on. It's really important to plan, but plans don't come above prayer or shouldn't be sort of separated from prayer. And when you read through this passage, it's just amazing that in, in these different cases, there's this determination from Paul that opposes when, when there's pushback to the advance of the kingdom. And how do the saints respond? They respond in prayer. How beautiful is that moment when out of the city, men, women, and children all come out down to the beach to the ship, and before they get on the ship, they just kneel down on the beach and they pray. It's a wonderful, wonderful moment. It's one of the things that you guys have installed in us. And again, I want to honor that. And church, we must not lose sight that prayer has to be at the very core of all that we do. We must keep praying for these families that are being sent out. We must surround them with prayer. We must cover them, their children, their marriages, their jobs. We must pray that the Lord would protect them from the evil one as they go and try to take territory in the kingdom of darkness. This is a serious moment. This isn't pretend. This isn't me sort of like making up a story. This is real. And so who else can we turn to except for the God of the ages who we get to call Father and call upon his name and say, God, would you speak to these people? Would you encourage these people? Would you shepherd them and guard them in all that they do? Give them favor. And that's not just about today. That needs to be as they go forward as well. Amen? Last point that I want to make is this, is that there is courage. And I've put courage over control. Paul didn't know ultimately what awaited him. He knew in part it was going to be tough. He knew that persecution was going to come. But he didn't know a written out plan. Some of you might need to hear that today. In my experience, God doesn't really give you that. He just doesn't. He says, go do this. And you go, okay, what's it going to look like? Where's the money going to come from? Am I going to be all right? Am I not going to be all right? How's this going to happen? And he's like, okay, Ben, you just go do it. That's how God tends to work because he wants us to trust in him. But when you're asked to do something like going like these guys are going, just want to recognize there is courage that is necessary. There's a huge sense of the unknown that lies ahead. Remember the quote, those of you that were there on the weekend away from our guest, Mr. Sean McNamara, who spoke to one of my sons as they got onto a rope swing in Kenya to jump across a ravine, and, uh, and he was petrified. And Sean got alongside him, and he said, you know what, bravery isn't not being scared but it's being scared and doing it anyway. And that's all he needed. He got up there, bash, did it. And um, for us as Christians, we can find uh, a hope in Jesus that gives us courage, genuine courage. It's not just grit your teeth and get on with it. It's Jesus is with me. Paul's approach is not blasé. It's not a blasé attitude towards suffering and pain. And just listen to this, church. And for those of you that are going, it is an understanding of the necessity of the mission. It is a rich understanding that all of us have got a part to play. And it is a secure hope of our future in Jesus Christ. That's what's going on for Paul. That's why he can say, I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. 
Paul kept going, full of courage in Jesus Christ. And you know, he did go to Jerusalem. And from Jerusalem, he was actually taken to Rome, the center of the, the empire of that time. And the gospel advances in ways that he couldn't have imagined. We don't know what's going to happen with London Bridge. But as we keep advancing forward, as we keep moving on, we're trusting that Jesus is for us. Here's where I want us to finish, church, and then we're going to pray. Paul is an incredible example to us of somebody that got hold of the mission and advanced forward. But Jesus is the greater Paul, right? In Luke 9.51, it talks about Jesus setting his face like flint towards Jerusalem. There's so many parallels in these stories between Jesus and Paul. Jesus was going to Jerusalem. He wouldn't then go on to Rome. He would go on to a cross. And all of the points that I've made today, there are parallels with Jesus. When Jesus came to live amongst us, there was a calling from his father. He was sent with purpose. He made genuine friendships, right? When you look at the relationships that Jesus has, who he eats with, who he sits with, who he spends time with, they love him and he loves them. There's genuine relationship going on. There's weeping all across the story of Jesus. There's a, a discomfort, even with Jesus and his father in the Garden of Gethsemane, this moment where he's saying, Father, not my will be done, but your will be done. And he's weeping in front of the father, the moment where he's hanging on the cross and his mum and his friends are, are in front of the cross and they're weeping because there is genuine heartache and pain when the kingdom of God advances. There was prophecy and, and even prophecy that would try to deter Jesus from what he's doing, that he had to resist there was a call to prayer. The disciples didn't get that one quite right. They all kept falling asleep. But so many parallels here. And there was this courage because of this understanding of what was beyond the cross. Hebrews 12, 1 to 2 wonderfully says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and now is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. I don't know what is ahead for you guys. I don't. And I'm certainly not going to stand here and say it's going to be a walk in the park. What I do know is that if in Christ, your names, every one of them, are written in the book of life, one day you're going to see him. You're going to see him face to face. And he's going to welcome you home. As for now, he's inviting you to advance his kingdom. Inviting you to take a step out into the kingdom of darkness to see the kingdom of light shatter the schemes of the enemy. His promise to you is this, that he will be with you. So keep looking to him. Keep trusting in a future. Keep trusting that one day he is going to come again. Church, I want to say the same to every single one of us as well. Jesus knew what laid ahead. He knew the bliss, the paradise, the glory and the beauty of what would be achieved through the cross and resurrection. And I want us to keep remembering there is a sinless, deathless future in Christ Jesus. The second coming of Jesus and the new creation, it's not a probability or a possibility. It is a glorious reality 
that our future is in Jesus and we will be surrounded by his glory and be in his presence forever. And so this commission to go forth and advance the kingdom is not just with those who are going, but those who are staying as well. That we would lay down our lives, focus on such a reality, and see as many people come to know Jesus as possible. That's what we're made for. It's what we're here for until we go to be with him. Amen? So those of you that are going... I'd love you to come to the front um, and we're just going to pray. We're going to spend some time praying. And um, church, you can come and gather. You can come and prophesy. If you want to sit where you're sitting, then that's absolutely fine. If you're new to church today, as I say, this is quite a different meeting to what we'd usually do. So just feel free to observe. But if, if you know Jesus, even if you don't come to the front, can I encourage you, pray for these men and women. Pray that God would be with them and they would see success in all they do. Amen. So just start to come, those of you that are off to London Bridge, and um, we're going to pray together now.